0: The idea of the power of, of words, and there's different connotations when we speak about the world of words. One of the things that's is obvious is that the world of words is our primary realm of activating creativity, and through the words or through the way that we choose to craft sentences determines the real essence of our creative selves because the ultimate creative act is to bring something which wasn't in existence into existence. And that happens when I share something with you that pre- previously you hadn't known about. So the, the way of creating, it's, it's even the way the world was created of humanity was slightly different but the way the world was created was through speech the ten utterances of creation and so speaking is fundamentally an act of a bringing somethingness to nothingness to somethingness there was nothing here before and then we bring through our words something into reality so it can be in a very simple way that you know that recently the decision of Wade versus Roe was overturned, and I tell you that new piece of information, so that's bringing a chidush, a piece of news, that you didn't have before, into the world, and then you can think about what that means for you. Or it could mean that I relate to something about myself that you didn't know. It could even mean I introduce you to an idea that you weren't familiar with each time the act of moving from the hiddenness of the pre-speech stage to the revealed stage of speech is the transition and the creativity of what we call in Hebrew, dibur. If you notice the mechanisms, the actual apparatus for dibur that we have in our world are built in a way that they reflect the actual form of words. The apparatus for, for words are your lips and your tongue. That's where the your mouth, where the, where the words come from. And you'll notice that the, the tongue which manipulates the sounds and your lips which open and close in order to utter the utterances... Have a very unique position in the body. Before we even locate them as both being directly in the center, as opposed to my eyes, which are on either side, and my ears, which are on either side, Um, my nose arguably um, is in the center, but it has two different channels, two different nostrils. The tongue is singular even though it does seem to have a split down the middle, which is interesting. It's also parallel to the centrality of my body. All things to note when we're trying to figure out this apparatus. But What's unique about the tongue, my tongue and lips, is the tongue is the only physical limb that can be external or internal. I can stick out my tongue. I can keep my tongue behind my lips or I can put it in front of my lips. My lips, the skin from which they are crafted, also have a unique status in my body because the outer skin of the lip is very different from the rest of my body. And it also is the same as the inner skin. So it's almost as if the inward goes to a little bit of the outward, and that's what creates my lips. So both the tongue and the lips represent the notion of inside coming out. Inside coming out, can be inside and come coming out, which would be perfectly aligned to the notion of speech itself. Speech is a transformation from the internal world to the external world, and that's why we call it creative, because creativity, the way that we speak about it, is to create in our own world something that wasn't there before. So, therefore, Debra is, is very, very the most, let's argue, arguably the most creative um, component of, of, of being human. And we really will live in a world of a world of words. We live in a world where we develop our model of reality based on the conversations that we listen to and that we tell ourselves in our head. And the world of words is not only the world of words that we listen to and tell others, but also the world of words that we tell ourselves, the stories in our head can also become quite Defining in terms of our experience of existence as we've spoken about previously many, 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 many times. What we began to explore <coughs> in our last session, which many of you were not present for, is if I want to be creative in the visual arts, I have my canvas primed and ready to be painted upon It's going to be an oil painting and I have a palette and on my palette I have a range of colors but the range of colors in a certain way is way broader than those on my palette because I can mix and from a few colors I can make many more colors but I've got them on my palette I've got my paintbrushes I've got thick ones and thin ones I've got textured ones and very very delicate ones And I've got all these tools and now I look at this canvas and I think to myself, with the resources, the tools of the trade that I have, I can fashion on this canvas something unique, something which wasn't there before. Because I have this range of colors, I can have a precision in the, if it's a landscape, the landscape I'd like to paint. I can get all the different shades of brown in the... Earth, and I can do the delicate shades of green and slightly yellow in the leaves. And I need those range of paintbrushes. If I only have one big, thick paintbrush, I can't go into that delicate detail when I want to do even the veins subtly on the leaf. I need to have the tools to do that. And the vision that I managed to capture on that 2D surface of this landscape will be dependent on the range of my tools. The more tools, the greater the depth and breadth of those tools, the more powerful the image I create on the canvas will be. So when we speak about, and this is stage number one, when we speak about the creative act of word smithery, becoming a craftsman in the way that I fashion the message that I'm communicating to you, we have an enormous range of tools to select our vision that we create through our verbiage. And if we are unaware of them, it's pretty much like a person who has the canvas and someone's given him a ballpoint pen to do the landscape. He's never going to be able to capture it with the same richness, with the same depth, with the, with the same dimension, with the same accuracy because he's got a very limited resource. One ballpoint pen is not going to do it. If you've ever been to an art gallery or if you've ever visited the city of London and have perused the National Gallery of Art so beautifully set, edge of Trafalgar Square and you go into the section with Rembrandt's works and you look at these portraits which were painted centuries ago and when I look at the portraits it almost feels if the person that was painted is still present in the room as I look at him. (laughs) Thank you. The delicacy of the brush stroke that looks almost more real than life. With one pencil or pen, Rembrandt would not have been able to do that. Because when you have a broad range of tools, you can create a more vivid <coughs> and real image. So when we think about speaking, well, what kind of what kind of tools do we have? And very often, people have an impoverished toolbox that they draw, they diboo from. The one thing we discussed, and we're basing ourselves on the Rambam. And the Rambam, he puts us in the chapter 5 of Hilchistah, where he describes the way that a chacham, a wise man, a spiritually enlightened individual, speaks. He's going through a series of things which differentiate the enlightened from the unenlightened, and he goes from eating and drinking alcohol, etc., to speaking. And you go through a series of different ways. Because arguably a person has a, a range of volume in the way he speaks. And you can go from very, very loud. Maybe that's ten or at least eight for me. To very, 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 very silent. That's can It's volume. There's tone. can be harsh. Somewhat vindictive can be loud and soft. It can be <laughs> happy and loud. It can be sad and loud. So even within the volume, this texture. The Rambam says, a wise, enlightened person isn't soik. The tzoyfayak. It's not the way to speak. Not only that, says the Rambam. Don't even raise your voice too high. But your words should be with rest. All the people that you speak to. And you notice when I shift perhaps a little bit of volume, mostly the texture of my words, you'll find... Loud words spoken authoritatively exclude the other from being invited into that discussion in an open fashion and create a certain separation, almost as if with these words and this tone of voice and this volume, I'm creating a boundary around myself. It's me talking now and you are kept on the outside of these words. But when I soften up and allow you to be part of this conversation, but it's it's tricky because then the Rambam says, "But you have to be careful." When you when you are speaking softly, you have to be very careful when you're speaking with that openness. You have to be careful because if you if it's too um, affected, if it's too contrived, so then you just come across as arrogant. So it has to be sincere. It has to be a beautiful, almost like a deep inner flow of using the texture of my voice to be inviting and to be to 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 be accepting, to be honourable of those are of those around me. Sasha, what did you want to say? Um, on the first thing that the Ramon said. Yes. Um, I was just wondering. Are, are these more like? The claw, like like general rules that we should all, always follow or there are, like situations where it's like having that more authoritative talk, like let's, I, I don't know, example, your, your child is not listening to you or you're being, self, there's a jerk in the street and being a jerk at, at you. Right, 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 right. For example, now, so the Ramam is telling us the rules. We all know that to every rule there's an exception. So if your child's running across the road and there's oncoming traffic, you say, "Boy, just um, no good idea. There may be, you know, <laughs> danger ahead." You go, right out the road." Otherwise, won't attract it, his attention. But these are telling you the rules. Once you know the rules, and you can know when. There's an exception to the rules. It could even be when a person is imbued with the excitement of coming across a new idea that he's going to scream from joy, and that could be totally legitimate. But the rules are that the general way of interaction, you have to figure out what kind of, with your palette that you're taking out, your paintbrush and painting, what kind of colors are you using? Okay, so I think that's, that's good. For me, that's... That's good. Of course, there are many other things. We'll see. The Ramam speaks specifically in this area more about tone, texture, and volume. But arguably, we could perhaps be aware of there's other different kinds of tools we have in our uh, speech toolbox. The pause recently experienced. And when you recognize that there's actually an important part of speech, important part of speech is silence. As in music, in music one of the most powerful moments in a piece may be the pause before the next stage of the music. Similarly with words, and obviously they have to be perfectly Placed in order to be fully effective, and you can't overdo the pause because it may become laborious. No. <laughs> so you want you want to know when to another point is the the, the rhythm of your words. Do you want to speak in a very rhythmic tone, making sure that when you speak, everyone's present, as if they're home? Do you want to speak in rhyming couplets, so true, so everyone can see you're happy and not blue? Or do you want to speak in short staccato ways in order to make sure that people do not remain in a daze? Would you rather... (laughs) Colour your words with tones of joy and song. So that people shouldn't figure out all the words you're saying are wrong. (laughs) There's so much you can do, really. There's so much you can do. And in a conversation, see this all comes out. In a conversation, you can start to become creative. Because what happens when you feel that your words aren't getting like I'm standing in front of you, right? And always it's a challenge when you're speaking to a number of people. People have all got their own agendas. Some people look upon this time as a time for slumbering. Other people for catching up on their all-pun homework. Others like the time which to sit and chill and to dream about other things. And when they're <coughs> in that dynamic, and let's say my goal is to engage everyone, regardless of their predetermined intention of why they came into the room, and therefore I'm going to look for ways of enticing them away from the all-pun homework. Gently pulling them into the discussion and saying to them, listen in, this may change your life. As you say in Hebrew, shaniti, shanita, shanit, shina, shinta, shaninu, shanit, etc. Good. Okay, good. Have you done? There was a shout. Maybe necessary. Or maybe over the board. Can you see what's happening? So, stock the rhythm. The rhythm can be very, 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 very 0.75 slow. It can be a normal pace. You can actually put it up if you've got a person who's got the judgments. No, it's not only on WhatsApp imagine If you've had real life, you can double-speed and the person can just say lots of things at the same time. You can listen to them. You can still hear what we saying because that's what you do your messages. But you can understand that that kind of speech kind of even something in the kind of time that we have together. We can, double, we can double up our productivity. But maybe we'll lose out on the power of the message. So much to do. There's techniques of rhetoric, The power of threes, which is so important, so valuable, and so vital, in order to emphasize the point, to get it across, and to convey it, using the power of threes, for me, has been transformational. It's changed me and altered my way of perception. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. That's so absolutely, frazzlingly good. That's so enlightening. That's, that, that's what it's all about, boys. The power, the power, the power, the power, the power. It's called the power of speech because there's power. Do you feel the power? <laughs> and you, this is before we even get into the world of music. This is just in the world of speech. And so it may be an issue that you have to be creative about what kind of strokes you're going to be painting with your speech, because of the situation and you want people to be engaged and you may have to speed up your words or slow them down in order to create that dramatic effect or change the tone of your voice. It may be that you have to steer the conversation in a different direction because until now we haven't even discussed content, only form. We haven't discussed what you're choosing to put on the canvas. We've just discussed when you choose it, what can you use to put it out there Content is an important thing, but before we go into content, I'm going to fetch a question from the back of the room. Avram, sure. I don't understand what you're saying with the threes. You don't understand what I'm but saying you're with saying the threes? How does that relate to a three? The way it relates to threes, when you say things in sets of three, it has a much more powerful emotive impact on the listener. If I wanted to tell you to do something and say, listen, Avram, I really think you have to put more effort into your into your your um analysis but if I say it like this Avram you have to analyze you have to dissect and you have to extrapolate if you want to become the greatest most powerful and best form of yourself and if you do that you'll succeed be able to lift yourself above others, And get fulfilment in everything you do. Bum, 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 bum. So usually, when you say you use that one to give you advice, are they trying to get a point across If you're trying to present a message and you want to empower your message with a little bit more punch, so then you do the power threes. There were, orators... Orators worked on that in, in very powerful ways. There used to be an actual course back in the day. People used to teach in university, uh, universities the power of rhetoric. It's called rhetoric. And yeah. um, they stopped. <laughs> 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 they stopped. They helped it. Okay. And they apprehended the idea of that course <laughs> of rhetoric. But so. rhetoric's not as important nowadays? Like, in, in universities, they're less effective Mm. you you could all, you know, whatever you want, I don't know, we'll leave our anthropological insights for a little bit later. Let's speak about speech. So that's the first point of the Rambam. Then the Rambam goes on and says, a next stage, a next stage. And this is taking, and this is all around the world of speech because the Rambam is discussing, the words of an enlightened person, how should he speak. So until now we've been speaking about the palette, the toolbox, the, the amount of brushes you have. And now he speaks about the next stage. Well, who are you speaking to and how should you speak? Who are you speaking to and how you should speak? So he actually speaks about conversation, initiation. How's that going to work? Who's going to be the first player in the world of speech as an enlightened person? Zokta <laughs> Heli Oh, he says. Umaktim kol And you should initiate... <coughs> He uses the word shalom. I think we'll translate that as, you should initiate the greeting to anyone. Persons walking towards you, perhaps even should step out of your way to make sure that you say, in Hebrew, shalom. In English, hello. In Gen Z speak, SUP. Serp. <laughs> sup. Gen speak and you have to say it in Gen Z of course the only reason you notice a person is because saw, you saw his reflection in your screen <laughs> because there's no way your head's ever getting up from there so who should initiate you should be, you should be the one who should initiate it and then he says an interesting reason for this and this I think <coughs> mm, could be it I'm getting somewhere, I'm feeling it Keday <laughs> in order K'day, in order Hemenu in order that their mood, their spirit should be comfortable with you. And now I see a direct correlation between the first part of the Rambam and the second part of the Rambam. The first part of the Rambam talks about dibur benachas, which means a gentle tone, a tone which is welcoming and I would say connective. And the second part of the Rambam takes it from the palette of the brush strokes and paints you are using to paint your words to the initiation of conversation, and just like the manner in which you speak should be inviting and welcoming and connective and not obstructive and divisive, when you initiate a greeting, it creates a certain degree of connection and comfort between the person, because when um, I'm ignored, I feel distanced and alienated. When I'm embraced and pursued, not pursued, it's too too strong, a word when I'm um, focused on, and people go out of their way to initiate their greeting. So then, so then I see, wow, this is cool. I feel I feel this person. I feel connected. If a person walks into the room and you, a person walks into the room and, and someone goes up to greet them, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you could use whatever you know, whatever if you're in South Africa. Hey, brother, how you doing? How's it How you doing? And you say the same thing about fifteen times. Hey, brother, 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 how you doing? you doing? Hey, you doing? Hey, brother, brother, you So then you feel warm. <laughs> feel warm. Um if you're in the more yeshivisha circle, ah and then you do a few like you know from south, oh um, and then again, depending on your cultural background, if you if you're English you can go hello. <laughs> that's a pretty much for them that's in, your maximum warmth. <laughs> So it just depends on on your social. But you should map it in the shalom. It could, it could be that the actual word shalom could be even more than that because shalom is not only a greeting. Shalom is, and it's certainly not. Certainly, you can't translate the word shalom as peace. That would be that would be not accurate. Shalom does not mean peace. Peace is gen, generally referred to as a. Um, a state where there's no conflict or no war. But Shalom is much more than that because Shalom, the root of the Hebrew word comes from the word Shalem. Shalem, this could be a good opportunity to segue into Ulpan, just putting it out there for those of you who are interested in Ulpan. Shalem and Shalom. The beautiful thing about Hebrew etymology, etymology is the three root word that is contained, three-letter root that's contained in Hebrew words. Words have a root, which is fascinating. Have a root. These root words, they're fascinating, these root words, because it means you can decipher from a different verb form or noun form what, what the word actually means. So since the root of shalom is shalem, which means wholeness, and the no- nature of a whole is an organism which has got multiple parts, And when those multiple parts are interacting with one another, functioning with a certain level of synchronicity, so then the shlemut, the completion, the wholeness, is reflected in the cooperation of the multiple parts that are seamlessly working with one another. And therefore shalom is not an absence of conflict. It's way more than that. It's a presence of Utter and total integration of the different parts. So when you say shalom, it's not only a greeting like, are you bruh? it's not like, Sir. it's not like, hello, it's not like, hiya. It's way more powerful and profound than that. In fact, to the degree that it seems to carry with it a certain spiritual energy, which is reflected in Jewish practice, that were you to be in the bathhouse, the toilet. For Americans, that's the bathroom. They believe the toilet is only referring to a particular item within the bathroom, whereas in the rest of the world, it refers to the entire room itself. If you have a cultural difference, there can be a lot of room for confusion when you say, I was in the toilet. And Americans become very concerned. How did you get there? Was it too big? Are you too small? <laughs> When you, when, you, when you speak to people in other countries, they think bathrooms or bathrooms actually have baths in them or baths, and therefore they get confused when they speak to Americans and they point out the bathroom and they go inside and all these is a toilet and think well, where's a bath. Um, so these things are confusing as many times American ways of describing things is generally more specific. As we've discussed multiple times before that, Americans would walk around in the middle of the road because they had no idea what pavement meant. So they had to eventually save themselves from mortal danger by introducing the word sidewalk. And then they knew, okay, it has to be on the side, and they got out the middle of the road. And, of course, what were they riding? They were riding horses. How were they riding it? They weren't sure. Many of them clung onto the tail, many walked aside. And so, until someone came and said, no, it's not horse riding like the rest of the world understands it to be, because where else can you ride a horse but on his back? But for Americans, were a little bit confusing, so they said, horseback riding. And then they knew exactly where to sit, and that was helpful. It was very helpful, and it's changed them. So, very similar with bathroom. Bathroom. You have to know what it is. It's a place where the toilet is for those of you unfamiliar with American talk. A um, public place restroom. Or a restroom, my right, restroom. We're going in there and you see people chilling. Hey, brother.
1: Going, hey, how long have you been here? Yeah,
0: long time. <laughs> <laughs> no, takes me yeah. <laughs> <you know? laughs> no, I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, I, I'm really exhausted. I'm going to go to the restaurant <laughs> <laughs> go to person, you say you, you, you like sitting there and like, you know, you you like, you really need to go. The person is like, do, do, do you need, do you need to go? You go, yeah. He goes, well, why don't you go to the restroom? You go, hm, I'm not tired. I need the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> the water closet, the WC, the water closet. You go over there and you say, where? Like, first of all, the water closet. Like, I'm waiting for Like water. You open up a closet and boom, <laughs> flooded. <flattered. laughs> Why don't someone, someone tell me this was a water closet? I got uh, water closet, washroom, restroom, bathroom. The John. The John. Yeah. Lavatory. Lavatory, The lavatory. Like what is a lavatory? Like you think it's a well, it's a combination between like a laboratory for Levine. A lavatory. The throne. The throne. The throne, yeah, the throne that's been, used, been used before. before. The cubicle. Thank you. Thank you, Brad. in Australia, they call it the duna. Yeah, duna. I think so. The dunny. Oh, the dunny? The dunny. Yeah, it could be the dunny. It could be the dunny. Blue. Yeah, you and the dunny. Oh, maybe. Oh, Hard to know. My God. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm glad that we, we explored different places of ablution and the etymological sources. Um, in Hebrew, it's actually interesting. According to the official... Biblical title, or I'd say the the Talmudic title for that place is the Beit HaKisei the house of the chair, which I suppose is a is a euphemology, uh, a, sorry, a euphemism for for a toilet. It's just a place of a chair, which is interesting because I'm not quite sure if they ever had chairs in there back in the day. Um, hmm. Okay, so so the truth is, I think we've. We've gone to the next stage, which is when you are speaking to the person, we've spoken about the kind of the things that you need to create and to foster that beautiful debut. We haven't yet gone onto content. We've spoken about form and we've spoken now about timing. Timing. How should the initiation occur? So I have to go around allowing myself to be conscious and that's quite interesting because what happens in order for me to be makdim I have to get there first and say shalom. it means I have to be aware of the people around me if I'm totally tzafloygin that's Yiddish for arangaton, which is Yiddish for <laughs> preoccupied or fenomen which is Yiddish for preoccupied so then I really don't see the people around me and the power of being makdim adam is deprived I can't, I can't initiate because I'm too self Uh, involved to initiate a greeting. So it could be there's a lot of other stuff going on over here. And I do think that ultimately this direction of this whole thing is going to be connectivity, because if you think about it, I was once at an airport in Hong Kong, and there was a, a, a woman who was trying to communicate to the person behind the desk some need that she had, but she didn't speak English or Cantonese or any other language that anyone knew. So she was using body gestures, and I must say the, the lady behind the desk was being extremely creative in trying to pick up her body movements and act out what possible solutions to a problem could be. so she tried the the, the wheelchair you know she, she, and she was like acting it out, but it wasn 't really getting anywhere, and it made me realize with such clarity how impoverished the level of connection that we can engender becomes when we lose the power of words. Not to say that there are times when silence can be a very powerful conveyor of a meaningful experience, but without the power of words, there can be very, very little social bonding. And since since humanity is, is very connected to our social fabric, it looks like the thing that sticks us together are words, but ironically, they're also the things that rent us asunder. And that rent is spelled with a W at the beginning for those people who are uneducated. <laughs> so we'll stop there. It's been fun, it's been gorgeous, and it's been just simply Superb.